seat. Thanks for worshiping with us. This is your first Sunday with us. We've been in this series called Better Together because we're convinced that God's people really are better together, that when God birthed the church, His intent was that we would encourage one another, we would love one another, we would strengthen one another, we would help each other grow. And Jesus not only starts the church, but he loves the church, dies for the church. Jesus looks at the church and says, that's my bride. That's how important this idea of of us was to Jesus. And as we wrap that up, I I just want to reinforce that the church is us. It's, it's not an entity or organization or, or, or uh, it's not a, a building good for us today, right? Because we were supposed to be somewhere else. And when we came here, we didn't leave the church over there. And then we're going to go back over there next Sunday. And the church is coming with us because the church is, is us. The church is and always has been people. But not just people, not just the people of God, but a movement of the people of God. A mighty strong, powerful movement of God's people all throughout the church's history. That's what the church has been. All throughout history, the church has been expanding and growing and changing cities and cultures and countries. The church has been changing calendars. The church has been changing individual lives in places it had no business being. The people of God moved powerfully in locations where people tried to get rid of it. I mean, kings and rulers and governments tried to move and continue to try to move against the people of God. And every time they try that, they fail. And they don't fail a little bit. They fail miserably. Whenever a ruler or an ideology or a government, or, or a king decides, which is what we need to do. We need to get rid of the religious people. We need to get rid of the church. The church still finds a way to grow. The church still gets stronger because from the very beginning, thinking of it hasn't just been people, it's been a movement of people. That's one of the reasons we're talking about this idea of better together is because I want, I want us to take our place in that movement. I want Journey to stand in line with the movement of God that's been happening for 2,000 years through His people, through the church. I want people to say about us, they lived in a time when, yes, their beliefs were increasingly marginalized, and yet they grew. Yet they got stronger. Yet they changed lives and changed cities and changed mindsets through the power of God. When the church is coming to be, there are a couple of key leaders that show up all throughout the book of Acts, and one of them is a guy named Paul. The end of Acts chapter 15, the beginning of Acts chapter 16, Paul is beginning what we call his second missionary journey. Paul Paul would, would go out, and he would preach the gospel, and people would come to faith, and he would establish a church, and he would mentor some leaders, and he would get them going, and then he'd do that again somewhere else. Or he'd find a group of believers that were already meeting, and he'd pour into their lives, and he'd teach them, and he'd, he'd mentor them, and he'd help them raise up pastors, and then he'd go to another city. 
and do that. So in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, we read, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, so sometime after this first journey where he had done this, he says to his friend Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's go check on everybody. Let's, let's see how we can encourage the church again, and there's kind of some backstory detail at the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16. But in verse 5 of chapter 16, we read, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. The church was strengthened. Years after they'd been planted, years after they started to coming together, the people of God, the movement of God, who was continuing to grow, was continuing to be strengthened. Here's, here's something I know about all of us who are followers of Jesus, and that is that every one of us need this continual strengthening that we get because we're together. We get from one another, that we get from worshiping like we did this morning. We need that growth. I, I have a vegetable garden every year, and I say that I have a vegetable garden Versus saying that I'm a gardener because a gardener would imply that I'm good at it and I'm not good at it. But I have one anyway every single year. Uh, I get a few tomatoes and a few cucumbers and maybe some peppers. That's, that's a, about it. I'm not opening a booth at the farmer's market anytime soon. That's my limitation. But here's the thing about my garden every single year. It never looks better than it does right now. Like, it's, it's picture-worthy right now. The soil looks great. The, all the plants are green. They're not very big, but they're green. There are no weeds. It looks beautiful. You come over sometime. I'll show it to you. It looks gorgeous right now. The problem is, it doesn't have any fruit right now. It doesn't have anything that's edible right now. It hasn't produced anything right now. In order for it to produce, it's going to take time. It's going to take attention. It's going to take water and fertilizer and, and weeding and, and caring. It's going to take time for there to be growth. Our spiritual lives are the same way. I mean, batter together, the church is not to sort of one-stop, fix everything. Okay, we came, we're good for six months. We came, we're good for a couple of years. Paul went back and visited the people in the churches he had planted because he knew there needed to be this ongoing growth in their life. And this is one of the challenges I want to leave you with coming out of this series. You need that too. I need that too. In order for my life to grow, I've got to be planted among God's people. I've got to be experiencing worship and teaching and growth that comes by being together. And parents, the same thing is true for your kids. If you have kids in journey kids, if you have kids in journey students, Plant them there. Get them here. Worship together. Let them build hot dog cabins on Saturday night with all of their friends. Whatever it is, get them here. Because they need to be strengthened. One of the saddest things is, is when God's people aren't a priority... When our kids are young and then they hit 15, 16, 17 and we go into full panic mode... Because now we realize they need that. They need that strength. Don't get in that, don't get in that situation. Realize my kids, our family, not just my kids, I need God's people. I need to keep growing. 
I'm not suggesting the church is a a fix-all for everything. I'm not suggesting it's a magic magic potion or, or a quick solution. What I am saying is when we read about the church in the New Testament, we find people who planted deeply among other believers, and their faith grew, and their faith was strengthened. And and here's the truth. There's strength that I'm going to need a year from now that I don't know I'm going to need. There's strength that I'm going to need five years from now that I don't know I'm going to need, and it's going to be in direct relationship to how deeply I've planted myself in community with God's people. That I have people that I can lean on and trust and know, yes, we are better together. And then we read this interesting thing in Acts 16, verses 6 through 8. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. I, I, I mentioned earlier, God. That the church, from its very beginning, has been a powerful movement of God. Here's the thing. The power of that movement was not in leadership. I mean, there, were, there have been a lot of great leaders in the church. But the, the power that's fueling the movement of God in His people, is, it's not just a study in leadership. It's not like these 10 leadership principles, and I like leadership, and I read about leadership, but what's fueling the power of the church 2,000 years ago and today is not leadership. It's not even great preaching, and there have been some incredible preachers in the church, but that's not the power. In Acts 16, we meet the power, and it's the Holy Spirit. The the, the power of the church is the unseen movement of God's Spirit among God's people. That God would come and use us. That He would come and empower us. Because the truth is, we cannot accomplish God's work without God's power. And God's power is supplied by the Holy Spirit at work within us. And there are great strategies that we'll use and there's great ideas that we'll put in place. But what we need at Journey more than anything else is a movement of God's Spirit. And we can't manipulate that and we can't make that happen. We can just ask God, would you send your Spirit to us? Would you bring the power of your Spirit here at our church and do things that we can't imagine right now? Now, the interesting thing is, as the Spirit is powering this movement through Paul and planting churches and encouraging churches, in in, in chapter 15, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and let's visit those same places. In Paul's mind, they're going to make the same trip that they made last time. They're going to visit the same people. It's kind of like a reunion tour, right? We're going to go back to all of our friends' houses. We're going to go back to our favorite churches, eat at our favorite restaurants. We're going to play the same songs we played last time. It's going to be a great little reunion tour. Except the problem is God doesn't do reunion tours. God, God, I'm guessing, never puts his iPod on repeat. God never says, let's just do it the same way the next time. It worked last time. Let's just kind of do it the same way. I I have friends who hashtag life on repeat. Do you have those friends? 
right? Life on repeat. A memory will pop up in their social media, and it's like a year ago, and they realize I'm doing the same thing I was doing last year, and so they'll post it, hashtag life on repeat, same place for vacation, family's doing the same thing, same event. Life is cyclical like that, right? Life kind of goes in circles for all of us. For us, it's volleyball. If you follow us on social media, it's like all keeps coming back. You can't get rid of it. It keeps cycling back. Life on repeat, I'm pretty sure God has never used the hashtag life on repeat. Because God's always got a new thing that he wants to do. So Paul sets out on this second journey thinking, hey, I'm just going to make that same loop I made in the first journey. And God says, no, I want you to take a right turn here. I want you to skirt around the edge of Asia And my goal is to get you across the sea, and I'm going to put you in Europe, and you're going to be the very first missionary to Europe. It's not what Paul had in mind. It's not what Paul had planned. But the Holy Spirit says, we're not going to do it like last time. I've got something bigger that I want to accomplish in you. I don't want to just go back and visit the same people. I have a continent on my heart. I have a continent on my mind, and you don't see it yet. you got to just keep following me. I'm not real sure the Holy Spirit even outlined all of those steps for Paul. I think the Holy Spirit just said, yeah, turn right here, turn left there, go straight, just keep taking the next step. And I'm going to get you where I want to get you. And it's not where you think you're going, but it's where I need you to get because I want to redeem. I want the gospel to get to a whole new people. I think that's part of what we have to do journey. Say, God, what's the next step for us? What's the, what's the next place for us? And that next step and that next place for us, like it was for Paul, probably has a lot of no in it from the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you read verses 6 through 8 that we just read, it's one big nope from the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm going to go preach in Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, nope. All right, we're going we're gonna to miss you. We're going to turn right. We're going to north up to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit says, nope, nope, nope. I mean, if we're going to follow the Holy Spirit, we have to get comfortable with no. We have to get comfortable with, okay, I thought we were going that way, and God's leading us this way, so let's just go with God. Let's just go that way. Here's a couple of things about God's no. God's no is always intended to get us to God's yes. There's never a no for no's sake with God. There's never a closed door just for the fun of it. There's never a no without something else. God's no is God's attempt to get us to his yes. And our responsibility, our our job is is to accept God's no and then look for God's yes. To say, all right, this was a no. It was a good idea. I mean, Paul was going to preach to Asia. There's nothing wrong with going to preach to Asia. It's just that the Holy Spirit said, no, I got something else planned for you. I've got another yes for you. So deal with the no. Sometimes God has to say no to our plans so he can get us on his plan. Sometimes God has to say, no, your plan's fine. It's not a bad plan. I just got a bigger plan, and I need to get you onto that plan. Nothing wrong with what you were thinking. Nothing wrong with the direction that you were going. It's just a no for me, and I'm going to try to get you over here to my bigger Yes, another thing about God's no. God's no is not a reason to do nothing. 
I mean, sometimes we get a no from God, and we, it kind of shuts us down. It's like, God, what, what do you want me to do? I thought this was the deal. I thought this was the open door. Paul I was supposed to be here. Why would you say no? I don't know what to do. Now, that wasn't Paul's response to no. Paul's response was, okay, you don't want me to go to Asia. I'll just kind of walk this way, and, and, and I'll keep preaching. And I'll minister to these people until you tell me what yes is. And you don't want me to go to Bithynia? Okay, well, I'll go the other way. I'll take a left instead of a right, and I don't really know where this road is going, but I'm just going to keep preaching. I'm just going to keep doing what you've called me to do. God's no. When God says no, it doesn't mean I just sit and wait for a yes. It means I, can, I continue to pursue who God has called me to be because in between the no and the yes, there's a... There's still a lot of living to be done, and there's still a lot of kingdom work to be done. And most of us, at times in our life, we live in no land. Like we got the no, but we haven't gotten the yes yet. God has closed a door, but he hasn't opened another one. We live in that land a lot of times. And God is saying, yes, my answer to that is no. My answer to everything isn't no. I've got a yes. You just got to keep walking, and you've got to keep trusting. I mean, the other thing Paul knew was that this one specific no did not override the bigger yes on Paul's life. Paul knew what he was called to do. Paul knew that he was called to advance the gospel and reach people and and plant churches. And so Paul said, if I can't do it there, then I'm just going to do it somewhere else until God says yes. Another principle, God's no to one thing doesn't mean God's no to everything. God's no to one thing doesn't mean God's no to everything. No to that. Yes to these other plans that I have for you. Yes to this other direction that I want for you. And in between no and yes, I've just got to keep doing the next thing I believe God's calling me to do until I figure out what our yes is. And I've, I've seen that. I've seen that in our journey together. I've, I've seen that in the last 14 to 18 months. I want to tell you a story. Um, up until about six weeks ago, there were probably only two people I, I had shared this with. And about six weeks ago, my, my small group forced me to tell them. So I've shared it with my small group and about two other people. But it, it goes way back a year and a half ago. October 2014, um, I, I got contacted by my college pastor. He still pastors the church that I went to in Columbia, South Carolina. It was an incredibly uh, impactful church in my life as a college student. I was involved in the college ministry. This particular pastor, several of the staff members poured a lot into me and mentored me and let me serve with them and learn from them. It was, it was a life-shaping moment personally and spiritually being a part of this church. So he's still pastoring this church, and he calls me a year and a half ago and says, I have a position on my staff. I'd like to talk to you about it. And and two things were going on in October 2014. One was I, I felt this sense of kind of obligation to him because he had meant so much to me that I felt like, it, it was the right thing to open that conversation and, and, and just hear what he had to say. And the second thing, without a lot of details, I just knew my relationship to my previous employer was not real healthy. And, and I just saw signs of 
things that were beginning to trouble me. And so I, I said, okay, we'll, we'll talk. And so we, we entered into this process of, of, of interviewing, and you've been there with your jobs. You, you go through phone interviews. And, and, and we, we got to a point where they, they wanted to do an assessment. Some of you have done online assessments when you're interviewing for a job. Personality assessments, leadership assessments, all of these sort of things. So they send me this assessment. I had never heard of this assessment before or since. Don't know anybody else who uses it before. They use it. And so I log on and I start taking this assessment. If you've done this before, you know that sometimes when you're doing these online assessments, you start figuring out what the assessment is saying about you, kind of how it's pigeonholing you into a particular area. And sometimes you don't want to be in that area. And so you're taking the assessment and you're fighting in your mind, okay, is this true? Is this not true? I don't think this is true. And here's, here's what I begin to detect from the assessment. The assessment was saying that when, when I have, um, uh, when, when things don't go well, like when there's a big crash, like when things don't work out, when things aren't going the way I planned, it, it kind of sets me back. Like I have a hard time getting going. Like if there's a big failure, like I'm leading something and it falls apart and it totally fails, then it, it, it takes me a while to get going again. I'm getting ticked off at this assessment, right? I'm arguing with this online thing that can't argue back with me. I'm not like that. Like I get up and get going. I can handle stuff. What are you saying? So I finish the assessment. A few weeks later, I go have a sit-down interview. Guess what they ask me in the interview? They ask me about that very thing. And I want to say it's a stupid assessment, isn't it? Like, what idiot picked that assessment? That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. So they asked me about that. The whole time I'm thinking, assessment? This can't be true. I didn't get the job. Three months later, I would get the biggest no I've ever gotten in my life. Some of you know what it was. Three months later, ministry, career, personal, you name it, the biggest no I've ever received in my life. I was disappointed, and I was hurt, and I was angry, and I was embarrassed. I'm driving home. You know what I'm thinking about? That assessment. I'm like, oh, no. I don't care what the assessment says about it. That is not happening. I get up at 4 o'clock the next morning. You know what I'm thinking about? A stupid assessment. <laughs> that I'd taken three months ago that said, look, when you face a really big failure, you just kind of shut down. Like, you don't do anything. I said, not this time. And I started praying. I said, God, what, what, what do you want me to do? And for weeks, for months... At a time, I got up every day and I thought about that assessment. I said, not this time. I don't know if it's true or not. Not this time. God wants to move us forward. God wants to start something new. God wants to take no and make it yes. And look around 14 months later. 14 months later, a no becomes a yes. Because the Spirit of God is not done. He is at work and He is moving. 
And this is great that we got together and Jordan and Alex Sasser are here. It was fantastic worship. We all got to sing together in this big, nice place. But this isn't the end. There's another step and another step. And they're going to be yeses and they're going to be noes and they're going to be open doors and they're going to be closed doors. But who we're going to be is a people of God in the middle of the movement of God. That he would change this city and cities around and cultures and minds and hearts and lives for the glory of God. Because God takes no's and makes them yes. Band's going to come back and, and they're going to play for just a minute. As we, as we wrap up this better together idea, um, I, I thought a great way to end it would be if, if you want to, you don't have to, but if some of us just came to the front and prayed, you know we can't do that at our other place because we'd step on each other and it'd be injuries, we'd have to call an ambulance, a whole bunch of stuff, but we, we've got this moment, we've got this day, and we've got lots of room, we've got lots of room, and, and if you're okay with it, you don't have to. If you're okay with it, let's just spend a few minutes calling out to God, lifting up what he's doing here, asking him to keep pointing us towards the yes and help us accept the no's, to experience the power of his spirit at work. Not because of a leader or a preacher or a musician or a building or a lack of a building. Not, not because of anything else, but just because the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to be His people. Empowers us to change this community for the name of Jesus. God, I pray that we would stand in line with Paul and the churches that he planted the people of God throughout history who have stood in the face of opposition, who have prayed in the face of persecution, who have opened their lives to the movement of the Holy Spirit, and even when they experienced a no, they knew there was another yes that was going to come from the Holy Spirit. And they were going to walk in faith until they saw the yes. God, we... We're not doing this for anybody's glory other than Jesus, that he would be center, that he would be all and all, all sufficient. So God, help us to come together. You and pray as the Spirit puts on our heart for what you want to do in this church going forward. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. If you feel led by God to come to the front and pray, then come and pray. Come and lift up the name of Jesus.